Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Whether you're listening to us live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders or after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network or on YouTube, thanks for joining us. Remember that at Football Outsiders, we are live five days a week at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Mike Tanier, Aaron Schatz and company, they're Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then I am every Tuesday and Friday with some fantasy work. And every Tuesday, I'm joined by Derek Klass and Football Outsiders film expert. And Derek, we're going to discuss the best waiver wire options for this week. But given that it's a bit of a thin week, I wanted to give you a chance to open up with some thoughts on your guy, Justin Fields, after, after the rough start on, on Sunday. I saw your name popping up with some of your tweets in the articles that were like, maybe the Bears should fire Matt Nagy. Or like, you know what, Mitchell Trubisky, we're sorry we've been mean to you for the last three years. So if you just need to, to vent, get something off your chest, I'm here to listen to you, man. That game, I, I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but I, I feel like I have to to express the way I feel about that game. Mm-hmm. That was one of the worst offensive line performances I've ever seen, both from a schematic standpoint and from just a talent standpoint. I mean, those two tackles, Jesus Christ, that was as bad as they've ever played. <laughs> Jason Peters was getting beat outside every play. Jermaine Effetti was getting beat inside every play. Jermaine Effetti had like a couple of false starts. Um, the interior offensive line wasn't really any better. And then they were constantly in five-man protections, which like, sure, it's the NFL. You need to be in five-man protections a little bit or sure. to some yeah. degree to like keep things changed up. But like they just couldn't block in five-man protection. When they added people on, their chip help wasn't actually any good. The running backs weren't picking up things very effectively, and people just weren't getting open. And, you know, to be fair, Fields did have a couple of plays where he looked like a rookie. Like, there was one play where they had double slants on one side and a stick concept to the other. He probably should have read the stick side, tried to force the inside slant to the other side, and it was an incompletion. So he still had some rookie plays, but, like, holy moly, man, that was one of the (laughs) worst performances from an – offense as a whole that I've just ever, ever seen. Well, if it makes you feel better, I haven't dropped fields in any of my, my fantasy <laughs> leagues. So I just, I want to give that to you as a sign of encouragement. Uh, but you know, since it is after week three, we're heading into week four, we should probably talk about some of the relevant waiver wire guys for this week's action. So we're going to play our usual Tuesday game where I give you the fab recommendation that I gave in the football outsiders waiver wire column, which is either up on football outsiders, right. Uh, com right now, or will be shortly. And then you can react to them and tell me if I'm too high, too low, or just right with some of your scouting uh, opinions about the players. And Derek, I think we just have to start with Chuba Hubbard, the running back for the Panthers. Unfortunately, Christian McCaffrey suffered a hamstring injury on Thursday night last week. There's actually been a little bit less information about McCaffrey's prognosis than you would expect, given that they had the early game of week three. But he's not on injured reserve, so you would think maybe it's not going to be a four to six week absence, but probably going to miss at least a game or two. And maybe I'm hyperbolic here, but I'm saying that you can spend 100% of your fat on, on Chuber, Chuber Hubbard, even if it may be a short-term thing. I mean, to me, it's hard to get away from what we saw last year with one McCaffrey suffering, not hamstring injuries, but different injuries that ended up costing him most of the season. And two, Mike Davis coming in and playing a lot and being a consistent RB2 when McCaffrey was gone. So like, there's a lot of things that send me down this path, but do you think I'm getting a little bit out of control with the 100% recommendation for Hubbard? I mean, not really. He's a guy who you know is going to get, he's going to start so long as McCaffrey is out and he's going to continue to get touches in this offense. In an offense that's been pretty good, granted, I think they've gotten lucky with some of the defenses that they face to this point, but still, they they look like they have their stuff together. They have their ducks in a row as an offense. Um, and Hubbard is going to continue to get carries in there. So I don't think I really have anything interesting to say as far <laughs> as like 
pushing on the fab recommendation. Like he's, he's a guy who's going to get his volume. So I think it's totally fine. Um, just from a scouting perspective, just to, you know, what people should expect from him. He's doesn't have very much wiggle to him. Um, his vision can be kind of up and down, but he's very much a runner who like, if you can point him in the right direction, or if he gets a little bit of a runway, he has really good speed for a guy who's like six one two ten. Um, he, he's, he moves really well for a guy that size. So he's a guy who, you know, he can get some steam. He can rip off a 40 yard gain every now and then, whether or not he's going to have the vision to put himself in those positions is another thing. But like I said, he's going to get the volume and you have the explosive play potential. So I don't see why not. So I was looking at our back cast projections. These are the football outsiders projections that look at prospect running backs. Uh, and by the way, Hubbard was a fourth round rookie pick this season. Um, so Hubbard was featured in that article. And I was interested to see that he was back cast third favorite running back in the class behind just round one picks, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. And I will say that I, I think that back cast may be a little bit too low on the North Carolina prospects. It really gets into the fact of whether running backs see a high percentage of their workload at their schools. And maybe North Carolina just had two really, really good players in Javante Williams and Michael Carter. But nevertheless, Hubbard graded out really well in there. And I think there's several things in that that, that kind of bode well for his fantasy value this year. You mentioned the speed, the 4 4 8, 40 time. But Hubbard is just kind of a B in every aspect of being a running back in the NFL, something that I think is good for fantasy value more so than just being really good in any one aspect. But he dominated carries at Oklahoma State. He had a solid 8.3% receiving ratio. Um, he's, he's pretty big, 6'1", 210, so you would think that he could get a heavy amount of the workload. And he did do that after McCaffrey went down last Thursday, playing 55% of offensive snaps versus 15% for Freeman. Um, and so I just think he's going to get the lion's share of work for the Panthers for however long McCaffrey's out. As mentioned, Mike Davis was the 15th PPR running back in McCaffrey's absences last year. So I think that type of expectation, I think that that can happen again this season. Yeah. And I think to your point with Batcast, like he probably wasn't actually the third best running back in the class and the North Carolina guys were better, but he was better than a fourth round pick. And I think he just had like a really weird last season at Oklahoma State between some leg injuries and he had, you know, some disputes a little bit with the head coach, Mike Gundy. Um, over certain things so it was kind of just like a weird storm of circumstances for him coming out because if he had came out the year before which I think he could have he probably would have gone a lot higher he probably would have gone you know second third round or whatever so um, the the Panthers are very lucky they got him where they did I guess is what I'm trying to say well I have this theory and I, I was looking into it in the offseason and I couldn't prove it historically in any way but like I have this theory that you know, coaches and teams are catching up to the fact that running backs maybe aren't as valuable as we've traditionally thought they are in football. And I think that running backs are starting to slip in the draft because of that. In the first round, it's not quite as glaring because you're going from guys that were taken in the top 10 to guys taken in the 20s. So you're like, yeah, not that big of a deal. But I think it's like the, the second and third round guys are starting to slip more and more. And so this season, I mean, like, I think that like Michael Carter was, what was he, maybe a, a fourth round pick. You've got Hubbard here. I think Kylan Hill for the Packers and Jamar Jefferson are both pretty good. And they were seventh round picks. I just feel like those guys are just going to slip a little bit because of the analytics movement. And that's why I think it's not as surprising when those guys come in and do well. I mean, we haven't really seen a lot of it so far this year, although the Packers do seem to really like Kylan Hill. But regardless, I think it, it wouldn't be that strange to think of Hubbard as like a borderline second, third round talent which is, again, why I think he's going to be successful this season. Absolutely. And, and I mean, running backs, to me in particular, can fall for like really just weird circumstances or have weird seasons at the, at the end of their career. I mean, Kylan Hill is a good example. He kind of like uh, Hubbard 
had some disputes with the head coach. I think he had some injury stuff. He ended up opting out at a certain points. Like it was just like a weird mix of circumstances for him to fall the way that he did. Uh, on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders, S Vanderpool is throwing out emojis of me pointing and, and pointing toward the sky. And I don't know if it's because I made really good points there, but let's just pretend that that's the case. <laughs> so we'll, we'll close it there and move on to some of the other guys, which I have to say uh, they're not nearly as exciting as Hubbard as options for you in fantasy, but you know, if you need guys, you need guys. And so we need to talk about Zach Moss running back for the Buffalo Bills. I recommended him as an 8% fab bid. Um, but really what I'm basically saying is that based on what I've seen the last two weeks with Moss's percentage of snaps growing and the idea that that uh, Sean McDermott was telling reporters that Moss started slow and started inactive in week one because of a training camp injury, I think that the Bills are kind of back in the same running back committee that we saw last year between Moss and Singletary. And that's what I'm saying Moss's value is. It, it depends on your league whether that's 8% or not. But is there any reason to be more optimistic about Moss than, than I'm suggesting, Derek? Uh, no, I think this is kind of, I think this spot is probably about right. Um, and I think the problem with Moss never probably going to fully take over like the workload, you know, cause he didn't even do that last year for one. Yeah. Um, but two, like the, these two running backs complement each other really well. That's actually a good um, point. Zach Moss is a guy who, you know, it's, it's kind of like a lesser version of, you know, Zeke and Pollard where Moss is this really efficient runner. I think he had a higher success rate last year. Um, he's really good at grinding out yards. He can put his foot in the ground and cut and, you know, get five yards up the field, that sort of thing. Um, where Singletary is more kind of hit or miss, but I think you saw even against, um, I think it was the Dolphins, like Singletary can just rip off big runs. And that's mm-hmm. why you have him in there. So I think they have a really nice one-two punch there. I think they do like Moss um, because the offense as a whole just doesn't really have like consistency in the short area. And I think having a running back who can add that is nice, but um, I think it's hard to imagine that he's ever going to fully, you know, grow out of, uh, grow into a bigger workload than he had last year or has so far this year. Yeah. I mean, I've always just been a huge sucker for Singletary and I swear to all fantasy people <laughs> reading my content that I'm not going to fall for this for like the eighth time, <laughs> but Singletary, I just, I've settled on the fact that he's a way better player in real life than he's going to ever be a fantasy player. And it's, it's the combination of two things. One, he's like an avoided tackle machine, which is one of the few stats that I think really represents what a running back is doing himself versus what, say, his blocking is doing for him. But because he's small, I don't think he's going to get a lot of goal line work. And like since the start of last season, he's seen 0.29 expected touchdowns per game versus 0.39 for Moss. So I think Moss is going to get that goal line work that's highly valuable for, for fantasy players. And two, even though you're right that Singletary can like get it to the second level, get it to the third level, his top end speed isn't like your Jamal Charles's of the world. So even when he breaks away to that third level and while he did it against the Dolphins, I'm not sure he's going to run for six long touchdowns a season. He can get caught on those plays. So like two things that maybe don't bode well for his fantasy future. Um, but also, like you said, I don't know if that means Moss is, is necessarily in the best fantasy situation. He may be more valuable than Singletary from a fantasy perspective, especially in non-PPR leagues, but he still has to deal with the fact that Josh Allen sees more expected rushing touchdowns per game because of his goal line work than even he does. So I almost think he would need a different quarterback to really get out of the flex consideration range. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you need running backs, what are you going to do? There just aren't, there just aren't very many guys available for you there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to a guy that I think is a pretty interesting discussion, especially with you and your quarterback background. And that's Kirk Cousins, quarterback of the Vikings. I'm suggesting a 6% fab bid and <laughs> Cousins just continues to produce. Like I know that he's a little bit of a punchline, possibly because of his attitudes, possibly just because of his disposition, but he went 30 for 38 for 323 and three touchdowns on Sunday. And 
I don't know if you would believe this, Derek, but here's his numbers over his last 17 games. So this is from week three last year when Justin Jefferson became a starter through week three this season. He has 4,808 yards, 41 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. Only Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen have thrown more touchdowns than him. Is, I mean, is Kirk Cousins like really, really good? Or is this just like a weird mirage? Uh, I mean, the thing is, I've over the years, it's so hard to talk about Kirk Cousins because I do think that he is a very good quarterback, but there's just something about him that <laughs> I, it's hard to quantify. But when you need a bucket, you need a guy who's going to get you a bucket and Kirk Cousins can't really get you a bucket, but he's very good up until that point. And I think we're seeing that now. Um, and I think at least the difference this year is it seems like they've changed the way that they're getting into personnel. You know, I think a lot last year they were more of like a 12 personnel team um, or like 21 personnel and really wanted to be heavier. They really only had the two receivers that they trusted. Um, and that kind of made their passing offense a little wonky. Whereas I think this year with the emergence of KJ Osborne over the past couple of weeks, they've been able to open up the field a little bit more. Um, than maybe they had in the past. Um, and I think Osborne's done a really good job of stretching the field and not having to, you know, burn Justin Jefferson's, you know, routes on doing that for, for everybody else. So I think it's created a better mix for what that offense wants to be right now. Whether or not it's going to continue at this pace, I'm not entirely confident. Um, but I, I do think that Kirk Cousins is a guy who gives you a, a pretty decent floor week in and week out. It's kind of funny. I mean, like Mike Zimmer, obviously a noted defensive-minded head coach, but like, is the fact that he lost these tight ends, like, is that actually making this offense better? Like, did he get sort of tricked into playing less of a 12 personnel style game that opens the, the passing up for Cousins? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I mean, it could also just be that maybe those tight ends weren't as good as we thought they were or as they were thinking they, they were. Maybe specifically um, Kyle Rudolph, but yeah, right. I think that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think especially in the passing game, Kyle Rudolph was not adding maybe as much as he used to. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen Irv Smith playing like a Tyler Higby type of like lion mm-hmm. share target thing. But, you know, you can't have everything. Uh, exactly. Joe, Joey sucks on Twitter. Great handle says do stats against the Seahawks really count, which like possibly a fair point. But the funny part was going into this week, I was saying how the Vikings defense was the one that was such a huge matchup bonus for guys. And that didn't really play out. I mean, it did for DK Metcalf, but not for the other guys. So I don't know. I have a hard time figuring out what defenses are, are what this early in the season, but you know, like how much do you think the schedule has played into what Cousins has been able to accomplish so far? Um, I mean, I would say kind of a, a decent amount just because I don't know if I trust the Bengals right now. The Cardinals defense is they have talent, but they're just not a sound unit at this point. So I think when you have a quarterback who is as sharp as Cousins, I think that's the kind of guy who can take advantage of that. And then the Seahawks defense is just extremely discombobulated right now. I think we've seen that. Um, especially against these offenses that are, are really good at getting into play action, I, I think is a problem for Seattle right now. Yeah. Um, so I think it, they just don't really have, I, I don't know, Seattle's defense is yeah, kind of discombobulated, not really good at handling right, that right now. So I do think part of it is schedule. Um, and it's also like these have been kind of shootout games to a degree, which obviously mm-hmm. helps if you're trying to get volume for, for passing stats for fantasy. So he's probably been helped by the schedule a little bit, um, but I don't know. I think Kurt's, Kirk Cousins generally gives you a high floor. And if you can get a couple of these games where he gets a week schedule again, you're probably in a good spot. I'm not sure if people think of this as being schedule, but like I, to me, it's less the, the defenses that he's faced. It's more the fact that he's played in the dome all three weeks, right? Mm. It's a, 
but but that, that's the thing with Cousins and, and every quarterback in, in play that plays his home games in a dome. That's going to keep happening. And so, like, while I think that's going to give him 20 extra fantasy points per season, you can count on it for one, or you can just kind of play the matchups and only start him when he's at home or on the road in a dome, and, and that'll work fine. You'll be able to do that more than half the time. So, like, I would, I would say that's something that you can kind of bank on, and that really works. Uh, one final thought that's not totally fantasy related. And I really wish I could remember who told me this, but have you ever seen the movie team America world police? I don't know. You might be too young. You might be too young for this. This Maybe. is something that this is something the guys that created South park did. And they have these, like, I guess they're puppets. I don't know, but like Kirk cousins looks like one of the puppets. And ever since I've found that out, it's like completely changed the way I think about him just the like whole tone of that movie. And I have <laughs> marionettes. Thanks, Joey sucks. Thanks for being on top of this. Uh, it, it like really changes how I think about cousins as like a real human being. It, it's really <laughs> funny, but I think it'll help people move beyond the, the, like the weirdness for cousins and just embrace the fact that he's a really good fantasy quarterback. I mean, he does kind of seem like a comical make cop, so I get it. <laughs> D- D- Derek, my homework assignment for you is to watch Team America World Police. I guess I'll have to to fully understand Kirk Cousins. Um, all right, let's move on and, and try to keep this thing a little bit on the rails. But uh, we've got Dalton Schultz as my next uh, guy. Added him to the list, bumped him up to a 6% fab bid after what I saw on Monday night, which included... Uh, did I write that down? Yeah. Six catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns. Um, one of which in garbage time, but I think the major point here is that entering the year, I really thought Blake Jarwin was going to reassert himself as the tight end one for the Cowboys. He obviously missed all of last year uh, with the torn ACL, but was back and healthy this season, but that hasn't seemed to be the case so far. So what are your thoughts about Schultz compared specifically to Blake Jarwin in the Cowboys offense? So the difference between those two players, I think, is Jarwin is really, really good at stretching the field from the tight end position, which obviously has value. Um, but the problem is if you're like he's not as good in the underneath area. And I think right now the Cowboys offense, not that their receivers like suck in the underneath area, but you don't really have a guy who, like a Hunter Renfro who is constantly working over the short middle of the field and is constantly open in that particular area so I think it's more valuable to the Cowboys to have a tight end who can work in that area Um, and that's where Schultz I think is a lot better than Blake Jarwin Um, like I said Jarwin is really good at stretching the field and I think he's better than that um, than Dalton Schultz but Schultz is still like good enough and I think you even saw it in this Eagles game granted the Eagles defense is horrific and doesn't have anybody who can carry vertically from the linebacker position which helps a little bit but (laughs) I mean I think you saw that he can at least do it enough that you're that you can put him on the field to do that and still get all the underneath value that that he's bringing. So he's not going to score you two touchdowns every week, but I think it's pretty clear that he has like a role, a niche in this offense that is going to consistently keep him on the field. That's really interesting because this is kind of bumping into the idea of the article that I was working on in the preseason that you were helping me with talking about the different versions of slot receivers that teams employ and CD lamb, technically speaking is a slot receiver. Like he, he takes the majority of his, his routes from the slot but he's really a lot more of a field stretching type of slot receiver, like not necessarily like a Tyree kill in terms of like the nature of his skill set, but like, he's not going to be running those like Cooper cup and Hunter Renfro types of routes. So with all of these explosive downfield options for the Cowboys, like who is it that they're going to be throwing the ball to? I mean, I think Tony Pollard, maybe, maybe one of those options, but Dalton Schultz, like suddenly that does make a lot of sense. And remember that last year he had 89 targets that was top 10 among tight ends. And even if that number goes down a little bit this season, while he is splitting time with Jarwin to a certain extent with Dak Prescott back at quarterback, I mean, I think the chances are that he's going to be a better fantasy option than he even he was last season. Right. 
I mean, I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Dak is going to be a quarterback who is also very good at understanding when guys are open underneath and he's going to be very willing to just, um, I don't think he's quick to check down necessarily, but I think he's very good at understanding where free yards are. And if you're just running a stick yeah. route with Dalton Schultz or whatever, Dak is going to be very good about taking those. So um, I think that definitely helps, you know, having a good quarterback is always going to help your pass catchers. And then to your point with CD lamb, lamb does do a lot of stuff from the slot, but yeah, like you said, he's more of a field stretcher. He's more of like a supercharged Tyrell Williams or something. Yeah. He's really good on like those deep overs, um, you know, divide routes up the middle, seam routes, that sort of stuff. So I think, yeah, to your point, like Lamb is technically a slot receiver, but not in the, the way that we think of Hunter Renfro or Cooper Cup or whoever. But while we are talking about receivers, do we need to bring up Michael Gallup? Because again, he's missed the last couple of games with an injury. I, I feel like he went on IR after week one. So maybe he would be eligible for week five. I haven't seen any updates about when he might be available, but saying that he's going to come back within the next month or so, is that going to change things for Schultz specifically, or is that another guy that's kind of moving the ball more down the field and not really taking away what Schultz does specifically for the team? Uh, I mean, I think Schultz still has a role because I think what we've seen a, a little bit more with um, Gallup out is that Lamb has just been playing outside more because that's just kind of what they have to do with him out. And I think once Gallup returns, they'll probably return to having Gallup outside, Lamb back in the slot. But like we said, Lamb is more of a guy who's stretching the field from the slot, not necessarily doing the underneath stuff. So I don't really think getting Gallup into the lineup necessarily chips away at like, you know, who is fighting into whose area of targets. I think maybe you just, because Gallup is a better player, he might get targets, but I don't think it's because he's eating into Schultz's role necessarily. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, again, I want to remind everybody that we are live right now on uh, twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. Football Outsiders is Monday through Friday, live from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. Some combination of me, Derek, uh, Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, Ian O'Connor. Like we, we've got all kinds of great content for you every day of the week. So check us out live. Check us out after the fact as well on YouTube and the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. But back to that delicious waiver wire content, uh, injuries really play a big part of this next recommendation, uh, Derek. So I feel like I may be under or overselling this one pretty dramatically, but I do have Giovanni Bernard running back for the Bucks as a 5% fab bid. Let me start with the injury side of this. Uh, on the final his final play of uh, week three in the loss to the Rams, he caught a touchdown but was injured on the play. Uh, as of Monday, Bruce Arians didn't have any update on his prognosis. I believe it was like a knee thing, but like, no threat of a torn ACL or anything. I may be butchering all of these details, but I think moral of the story is I don't really know whether he's going to be available for week four. All that said, I do think it's still worth considering him in fab for a couple of reasons. One, I think it makes sense why he had a slow start to the season in weeks one and two. He suffered a, you know, quote unquote, mild high angle sprain in the preseason and saw very low snap counts in weeks one and two. To me, that makes sense. He seemed much healthier this week and then suddenly had 10 targets. Point number two, his the, the main running backs, I guess you would say, the early down backs for the Bucks are really not really good at catching the ball. Uh, they were number one and number three since the start of last season with 17.1% and 13.2% drop rates of their catchable targets. I mean, that's like abhorrent for, for running backs. It's just like those, all of those targets are really easy to come down with. Few of them are actually defended. They just have stone hands basically. And so I feel like Giovanni Bernard is a player that really would fill a role for this team. And the number three, I'll mention that in Tom Brady's last four seasons with the Patriots from 2016 to 2019, James White was a top 30 PPR running back three times. So like for me, it's really easy to connect these dots to say that Giovanni Bernard might be quite valuable from a PPR perspective, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, Derek, if this is kind of going the way that I think. 
No, I mean, I think you have it pretty much dead on. I think, um, especially in a PPR league, because like, like you said, the thing is the Bucks clearly need somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield and Fournette and Jones have not done a very good job of that. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, it's not like they're doing, you know, some of maybe the, I don't know, Naheem Hines stuff or like old Le'Veon Bell where they're splitting him out a lot and they're doing these crazy stuff, asking him to run real routes. It's not that they're catching swings out of the backfield or trying to, and not doing it very well. Um, and I think Bernard, while at this point in his career is maybe not as dynamic as he maybe used to be in Cincinnati early on, mm-hmm. he's still a guy who, if you flip it to him on a swing route on a flat route, a shoot, whatever, he's yeah. going to catch the ball and can at least get a handful of yards. And that's something that the Bucks offense just doesn't have right now. They obviously have all the explosive playmakers. They have Gronk over the middle, yada, yada, yada. But they don't really have a consistent check down guy. And I think that's yeah. something that he can at least fill into, even if he's not a very good runner at this point. Yeah, Joey Sucks on Twitch says, Geo in fantasy is like an ex you hate only a little bit less than yourself, which I'm going to take major <laughs> exception to this because Geo was an alum of North Carolina. We overlapped a little bit at my alma mater. So how dare you, sir? I love Geo Bernard. And I think that this role, it's it's asking a little bit less for Bernard. Like obviously it never really worked out for him as an every down back. And he may be a little bit undersized for that type of role anyway. But to mm-hmm. me, it's just an apples and oranges thing. Like He was in what I consider to be a pretty bad situation previously in Cincinnati. Now he's in a super role player role that I think can make a lot of sense for the right type of fantasy league. And like kind of digging a bit more into that with James White, like I know that you're saying that, well, you know, the Bucs were down in that game. It made sense that that Brady was just going to check down a lot to their backs. But White actually saw more targets per game from 2016 to 2019 in, in Patriots wins than he did in losses. I know it was a little bit of like whack a mole trying to figure out the right times to start him, but. I think if you, in your deeper formats, just put Bernard in your lineups every week, you're going to have weeks where you get like eight catches and that's going to be really beneficial to you. And he's pretty much available everywhere. So I I just think it's a, it's a worthwhile gamble again, kind of circling back to the point that if you need running backs, you just can't find guys that are getting heavy workloads. So you have to kind of work with what's out there. Exactly. And you know, the one last thing I think I'll say is like, if you look at just who is in this division, it kind of makes sense. Um, like, I don't think the Saints defense is particularly great right now. The Panthers tend to do a decent amount of too high stuff, so you're probably going to be able to get a lot of checkdowns. And then the Falcons, God bless them, they're just terrible, and they can't tackle. <laughs> we saw this against the Eagles. Like, if you just flip the ball out shallow and you let guys run, they're going to be able to make plays. And I think Tom Brady is a guy who's going to, you know, take advantage of that. So I think even just from a schedule standpoint, those yeah. games that you're going to get is pretty favorable. Now, I will say, I do think game script accounted for the kind of skew and offensive snap share that we saw among the Bucks backs in week three. Bernard played 45% of offensive snaps. Leonard Fournette played 36% and uh, Ronald Jones played just 16%. But that being said, Derek, I did want to get your thoughts about Ronald Jones specifically because I toyed with including him as a potential drop player in that, in my article up on football outsiders for the waiver wire, I ended up taking him off because again, we don't really know what, what uh, Bernard's health status is going into week four, but Things haven't been going well for him this season, kind of just following along in the press. It sounds like things aren't going well for him in practice necessarily. And Fournette already had probably the more appealing fantasy role as the one of those two players that was ever getting any kind of targets. So like, what do you make of Jones? Like, is, is he just an, a fantasy afterthought at this point? Or do you think the Bucks are going to sc- score so many touchdowns that maybe it's too premature to move on from them? The thing is, I think at this point with Jones, he – his best trait is obviously that he can be like a home run hitter. Right. Yeah. Um, but the problem is he's 
just not good between the tackles at all at this point in his career, I don't think. Um, like we mentioned earlier, he's not very comfortable catching passes out of the backfield right now, and he's not a good pass protector. So he doesn't have any of these things that would suggest to you he can consistently stay on the field. And so while he might hit a couple of home runs every now and then, I don't know how you're ever supposed to you know, make the right call as to when is the good time to start him. And I think, uh, frankly, he just doesn't hit – home runs at the rate that he used to, or maybe we thought he could coming out of college. So yeah. I think he's probably more of an afterthought. All the more reason to, to pick up uh, Bernard in your fantasy leagues where that makes sense. So there you go. All right. Next up, a player that we discussed last week, Derek, Henry Ruggs, wide receiver for the Raiders. I'm recommending him at a 3% bid this week, a little bit down, but in part, because again, if he's still on your wire, I think that probably says a little bit something about your league in terms of depth or in terms of the, the other players that, that are in your league and how much they're paying attention. But I continue to like what I'm seeing statistically from Ruggs. Four catches for 78 yards on seven targets this week. Uh, That target uh, total was tied for the most on the team with Darren Waller. Brian Edwards is still involved, and I think they're they're pretty even with snaps share. Edwards may play even a little bit more, and is kind of the bill that you might expect would do better from fantasy perspective. But but Ruggs has had the higher target share so far this season. He looks more explosive. How would you break this down, and have your thoughts changed at all from what we were talking about last week? So I think he's still kind of going to be this guy who they really, really want to just have stretch the field. But I think last week there was kind of like an illuminating sequence that really led me to believe that the offense and car really believe in, uh, in rugs. So the second play of the game, they had um, rugs like they shifted him, I think from out left and then got him to the right side of the formation, motioned him back across and they ran like a switch verticals and had him on the sideline where he was running kind of like a wheel route and Carr underthrew it a little bit. And I'm not sure if Carr thought the cornerback was coming over the top too hard and wanted to, to loft it under whatever the play didn't work. And it seemed like they were a little bit off. Um, They called it again when they got back to overtime and they hit it perfectly. So whatever they were doing, they they like ironed out that communication and Carr and Gruden Mm -hmm. both trusted rugs to make that play again. And it seemed like just to me, it seems like, they're not really going to doghouse rugs or anything for anything going wrong or anything, or they're not going to limit his snaps or anything. I think they trust that this is going to work for him and they really want to make it work for him. And I think, you know, to your point, statistically, they've done a pretty good job for the most part of, of getting him involved and getting him some big plays. Yeah. I mean, the big play part is, is to me, what's important. I wanted rugs to get a little bit more work kind of like behind the line of scrimmage where he could kind of work his after the catch magic, but that hasn't happened. And the target share is, is relatively low to other fantasy players, 14.4% is 65th among all wide receivers so far this year. But if you look at it from like an explosive standpoint, one way fantasy players like to do this is looking at air yards. Ruggs has 212 air yards on the season. That's 31st among wide receivers. So kind of like in that flex range. And just to give some context, Jamar Chase is at 208. So so like in my mind, it's like, hey, you take Jamar Chase's four touchdowns and give him to Ruggs, give Ruggs' one touchdown to Jamar Chase. Their total narratives for the first three weeks flip. And while that may not be fair, I also feel like those type of downfield threats, they do kind of boom and bust from a touchdown perspective. And it wouldn't be that shocking for rugs to like rattle off four touchdowns in a three game stretch. You just may not know where it's coming from. Again, fantasy, you'd rather have more consistency, but you know, maybe not in DFS or like maybe not in your deeper formats where you're choosing between rugs and somebody with a lot lower ceiling, maybe even like his teammate Hunter Renfro. Like, I don't know if that sort of disparity means anything to you. Like, uh, it may not be the perfect profile, but like this isn't a Deshaun Jackson type of experience, right? He's still getting a ton of workload. 
Right. I think Deshaun Jackson was like, it's almost weird putting it this way, but Deshaun Jackson was, was actually so good that defenses refused to let him get those, those <laughs> yeah. targets. They were just like, we were doing whatever we can to make sure that this doesn't happen. They would play their post safeties deeper, play too deep, make sure they always had safety help, whatever. Ruggs is not quite special enough that defenses are doing that, but he's still good enough to take advantage of defenses not doing that. He, he resides in like the perfect limbo for him to still be a pretty productive fantasy player. I like it. Just like off the cuff, I know I didn't prepare you for this out of time, but like, would you would you put Ruggs in Jamar Chase's class from a fantasy perspective going forward? Or do you think that the Chase is in a better situation or maybe he's just a much better player uh, with the Bengals that makes him more valuable? I would just say that Chase's opportunities are so much more varied and different that he's just probably naturally going to be able to more consistently produce. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually writing something um, earlier today, like, even just the Steelers game, if you look at Chase, the way that he scored his touchdowns were completely different. He had the one down the left sideline where, um, you know, it's just a straight vertical route and he like separated at the very end, like he always did at LSU. Um, and then I think on his, it was his second touchdown, they ran like a four strong concept to the left. And then Chase was just running like a dig route behind. And like that's, Ruggs is a good player, but that's not really the type of stuff he's going to be doing in the red zone for you. Whereas Chase kind of has that in his toolkit. Yeah. So I think Chase's opportunity are just going to be so much more varied. He can do a little bit more that he's probably going to be more consistent. Okay. I think that's fair. All right. Let's close that talk up and then move on to the most important topic of the day. Talking about my Carolina Panthers <laughs> and their, their new quarterback, Sam Darnold, who I went from hating to absolutely loving. And now I'm recommending an, a huge fab bid of 3% of your fab for him after what I've seen the first three weeks. It's hard to argue with the raw stats. Um, I mean, 304 yards in week three, ran for two touchdowns. I would say he's the better version of Justin Fields. Um, but Derek, you know, maybe my eyes are lying to me. Let's get the real scouts perspective. What do you make of Darnold? And do you think that he's kind of entered into that fantasy relevant realm as a quarterback? I mean, 3% is probably fine. And for me, it's less betting on Darnold and more just like, I think Joe Brady really knows what he's doing and they have a lot of really good pass catchers, even though they just traded one of them away. Not that he was not that Dan Arnold was like the key to the offense, but it kind of hurts to lose. If you want to spend the next 30 minutes on Tommy Trimble, I'm happy to do that as well. It's just, we'll give the people what they want to hear. Uh, We we might have to, if we have time at the end of the episode, we can get into it. We'll we'll ask Philip, but but keep on going. Exactly. Um, With with Darnold, I, I don't know. I think his production to this point has just been so much, the schedule that they face. I mean, I think we saw in particular like that Thursday night game, that Texans offense or that Texas defense, man, like they, they just don't do anything. They were consistently in these like Tampa two um, zones where they just don't really have the personnel to run that. They don't have the linebackers to do what they're trying to do. So you constantly had these wide open routes over the middle that um, to his credit, Sam Darnold was getting to him, but it, it wasn't really like Darnold was doing anything particularly impressive to me. And I think when they run into tougher defenses, that's, it, you're going to get more of the the old Sam Darnold plays where he tries to do something really stupid and it doesn't work out, or he's going to have to fit tighter windows more consistently. And maybe he gets, you know, in, into some trouble there. So I think he's definitely going to slow down from a fantasy perspective, but I think at the same time, Joe Brady really knows what he's doing. That offensive line looks probably a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. 3% is probably fine. 
Um, but I think this is more me picking up the, the Panthers offense rather than picking up Sam Darnold. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to have to let me have this this year because when, <laughs> when Joe Brady's coaching the bears next year, I'm going to be sad again. So I, I just, I need to have this. And I'll say that on, on Twitch, Joey sucks. Once again, going back to flattery, that's how you get red on the air. Darnold is darn gold. I absolutely oh, love that. God. Uh, we need the new <laughs> stupid saying now that the Darnold to D Arnold connection is no more with the team. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with what you said, Derek, but I will say that from a fantasy perspective, it's not as damaging when a quarterback makes one or two stupid plays a game as it is from a real world perspective, because picks just aren't that big of a deal. That you makes sense. Want, you, you want more yards. You want especially more touchdowns and the touchdowns point, whether it's Darnold's responsibility, whether it's the improved pass protection relative to the jets, whether it's Joe Beatty, whatever the case may be, Darnold is producing touchdowns. Um, so if I, I should have updated this from Monday night and I have a tweet buffer to go out that did, did up this, but I believe that Darnold is now number four in expected passing plus rushing touchdowns on the season. He's first in expected rushing touchdowns. That seems stupid, but like if those had been passing touchdowns instead, which they could have been because they were close to the end zone, then, you know, I think to me, that's still pretty predictive. He's behind Josh Allen, Tom Brady, and Justin Herbert. And I think now Dak Prescott in expected total touchdowns. And then just ahead of Kyler Murray, um, I'm forgetting somebody and then Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, but it's like, it's the total heavy hitters plus Sam Darnold. It, and I think schedule is part of that. Um, but I think the Panthers are just better than you expect. And I think also too, the Panthers having a better defense that has some like positive feedback with what's going on on the offense where like they're forcing the shorter fields, mm -hmm. getting Sam Darnold, the ball in better field position, probably going to force turnovers and get him extra opportunities in the red zone. And so I think there's a lot of things that are kind of slowly together adding up to what could be a very productive role for Darnold, even if he's not necessarily better than any other average quarterback. He is a lot better than Bridgewater in, in the arm strength department. And I think that's big from scoring in, in near the red zone. And even last season with Bridgewater, the Panthers were in the red zone a lot. They just didn't convert those to a lot of touchdowns. I think that's something that could be different this year that makes Darnold fantasy relevant. I think I can agree with that. And part of, part of the red zone thing too was, I can't remember if it was a player or if Brady said it himself, but he said that they just like didn't practice red zone really during <laughs> yeah. his first year, which like yeah. I have to imagine that changed this year. Um, and, and he, you know, learned what an NFL uh, practice is supposed to look like. And so that's probably helping. Um, but I think the rushing point is actually a really good one that I kind of spaced out on here. Like Arnold is actually a, he's not, you know, Kyler Murray or Josh Allen, but he's actually a pretty good athlete. And he did a lot of the, um, zone read, arc read type of stuff in college. Um, and I think it's kind of nice that they've incorporated it a little bit into their offense, um, especially in the red zone. He's not going to get 15 carries a game or whatever, but I think it's definitely something nice that they have in, in their toolkit that they can use as a changeup. On twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders, Useful Baker, who I can only assume is the, the next iteration of Useful Title, he asked, with McCaffrey out, do you think Darnold's passing numbers will go up more and I actually think the answer is probably no. Like, I think McCaffrey is such a dangerous passing threat that this mm -hmm. is going to probably hurt Darnold. But maybe it'll lead to more touchdown opportunities for Darnold because I do think McCaffrey was probably going to be the primary red zone scorer. So there's a little bit of yin and yang here, Derek. How would you unpack that? If anything, I think that probably just introduces more volatility. Because like you said, like McCaffrey was a really vital part to their passing game. Um, especially in the, in the underneath area. I mean, I think he was obviously their best guy at that. So I think not having a guy who is just like an automatic five yards in that under, in that underneath area, I think it's going to kind of hurt Darnold. Um, Cause I don't think Chuba Hubbard is, is quite as good at that stuff either. So yeah. I think not having that in the offense 
is going to, like I said, introduce some more volatility. So he might try to push the ball a little bit down the field more, maybe feel like he's not as comfortable checking down. So he forces stuff over the middle. And I think that mixed with probably getting some better defenses over the next couple of weeks could lead to some tough stuff, but volatility is not necessarily the worst with Darnold because it probably means some good plays when you have some of the receivers that they have. Yeah. So. so, I mean, the better question may be to relate Darnold to my next fab recommendation, Joe Burrow at 2%. Like, I have Burrow as a less expensive fab option, but part of that is just the fact that he's been a, a smaller producer so far this season. He did throw three touchdowns last week against the Steelers, but given that it was the Steelers, he only threw 18 passes, 14 of 18 for 172. So from a fantasy perspective, the production hasn't been there. But from like a real world perspective, and you know, you can take these basic stats as far as you want to take them, but he's looking pretty good with 70.7% completion rate and 8.5 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns too, but the four interceptions how would you compare him as an option for you in fantasy to Darnold? Do you think, like, I think everybody thinks that Burrow is the better player in real life, but are we seeing a year two jump? Are we seeing somebody that can maybe become a top 10 fantasy quarterback? I think at least this year, at least right now, with the way that this Bengals offense is constructed, they are extremely like a matchup team. Where I think if you get a defense that can't rush the passer, like Pittsburgh couldn't last week because they were down everybody like TJ yeah. Watt wasn't playing. Alex Highsmith wasn't playing. I think they were missing like Tyson Alawalu. Stefan Tewitt is still not back. Like they just didn't have guys to pressure Cincinnati's bad offensive line. And so they didn't have a sack, off, which it honestly blew my insane. mind. So like Derek, it's I'm the Bengals <laughs> it, that without getting too deep into the weeds and boring people, I had an, a bug in the pre in the, in the projections for week two, which is like our, some of our data from our provider changed formats and I screwed up. But regardless, there was a bug that the Bengals ended up giving up 11 sacks in my first run of projections for week two. And like, I wasn't sure it was a bug. I was like, I don't know, you know, the Bears, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> and they didn't give up a sack in week, to, in week three to the Steelers. It's like a shocking development. Yeah. And like, kind of to your point there, like the Bears were able to get a, a really bad performance out of um, Burrow because they can get pressure. Like they have yeah. some guys who can rush the passer. I mean, you have Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn's playing well. Some of their interior guys are good. Like, they have guys um, and the Steelers just couldn't do that. And they, they weren't blitzing a whole lot because um, I think when a team like the Bengals go into empty as much as they do, it can be tricky to blitz because yeah, you have wide open space and you're just giving it right to them. So I think that was part of the problem. So I think last week in particular was just like such a perfect matchup for that offense um, with all the injuries and mm -hmm. stuff that, that Pittsburgh had that, I don't totally buy that that's really what the Bengals offense is going to look like moving forward. I think against any defense that can, that can rush the passer, especially with four, even at an above average level yeah. is, is going to give Burrow some problems. Well, honestly, I love what you're saying about matchups because in general, I think that quarterbacks, you can really play the matchups. And that's something that people don't think about doing as much as I think they should, especially in your shallower fantasy leagues where honestly guys like Darnold and Burrow tend to just be available. So like if, if you want to pick them up and start them in the bright spots, I think that's totally fair. And I'll point out that Burrow, like we projected that the start of the season was going to be pretty bad. Like we were projecting that he was going to lose 1.2 fantasy points the first three weeks because of the schedule. He's played at home against the Vikings. Vikings may not be a world beater defense, but you'd rather face them in the dome in Minnesota, at least in my mind, than weeks two and three at Chicago at Pittsburgh. And what do those three teams have in common? They all project to increase interception rate by 10% or more. 
and he threw four interceptions in those weeks, right? Like I know it was bunched in a weird way, but to me, it's really easy to connect the dots of the schedule that he's faced so far and the specific production that you've seen and the, the thing that people may be alarmed by being the four interceptions. To me, I'm not as worried. Going forward, it's a much closer to neutral schedule, negative 0.3 projected fantasy points over the rest of the season because of schedule. And again, he's going to have the better matchups too. So yeah, I think at the very least, Burrow is somebody that you can kind of pick and choose your spots with. But I also, honestly, I think he's going to have more fantasy value than Sam Darnold over the rest of the season. I just don't think people are going to be valuing uh, him like that based on what they've done so far this season. Mm -hmm. And and I will say, even though I'm still a little bit skeptical of Burrow as a fantasy option moving forward, that three interception game is like, that's not really what he does. That was such like an aberration. Um, And he deserved to be picked off a few times, of course, and he didn't play very well, but like that particular kind of bad performance isn't really what he tends to look like. So that one, you can kind of almost, uh, he's not going to throw three picks like that again. I don't think. I wish the Bengals had more money. Um, I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of ways you could, you could go with that, but Burrow is a quarterback that's begging for a dome in my, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and he, he just doesn't have it. And it's going to lead to some bad spots and it's going to lead to some bad spots because you're playing in the AFC North, which means you're going to be traveling to Pittsburgh, traveling to Baltimore, some very unfriendly places to play that also may have some bad weather, but I don't know. I think Burrow is really, really good. And, and maybe that's, that's more me than the public consensus, but I think he's going to have some fantasy value for you this year. Okay. Um, Let's move on to the next guy, Curtis Samuel, wide receiver for the Washington football team. Uh, it's a, as a broader point, I'll mention that with the new rules for injured reserve, players have to be out at least three weeks, but are eligible to be activated for weeks four, five, and six from their original injury. So everybody that started the season on IR could play as soon as this week. Samuel was the one that jumps out to me as being the most fantasy relevant. He also was one that was practicing last week. I mean, practicing in air quotes, he was running around with a helmet on. So maybe he's, Maybe he might play this this week. And, and so to me, if he's available in your league, he looks like he's available in about half of ESPN leagues and about two-thirds of Yahoo leagues. Maybe worth a pickup, maybe worth a small fab bid before he does anything on the field that might make him much more expensive. Derek, uh, I don't know if we ever talked about what you thought of Samuel as, as an addition for Washington this season. Do you generally think he's going to have a good fantasy value for his new team? I think probably not right away. Um but I think kind of like you mentioned, he's a guy who you would rather take the gamble on now than when he becomes potentially relevant in, I don't know, four weeks from now. Okay. And then you have to double or triple whatever your fab bid was as opposed to getting him right now. So I think Samuel's a guy who he's not particularly good at maybe, you know, catching the ball over the middle. He's not your true X, whatever. But he's really good with the ball in his hands. I think you can do a lot of the creative stuff that they've tried to do with J.D. McKissick. And obviously McKissick just isn't a very good player. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if you replace those touches with Samuel and then Samuel can still do pretty good receiver stuff. I think he's a really good route runner. Um, He can get open. He's really good down the field. You kind of have a little bit of versatility with him. So I think he adds a lot of stuff that can kind of open up the offense. And I think once he maybe works out with the quarterback situation a little bit because I mean their their whole deal there is kind of tricky and I think it might take him a couple of weeks to really get comfortable with with Heineke um so I think it's like a weird situation for the you know immediate play but I think like you know to your point maybe in a month from now he becomes a pretty valuable receiver for you and you can get him on the low right now yeah I think that makes a ton of sense I think people that probably watch a little bit less Panthers games than I do and gosh I can't blame you on that front but they may be surprised that they think of Samuel as maybe more of a gadget style player based on his early career. And and just the fact that entering the NFL, 
he was like, is he a running back or is he a receiver? And like those guys, I think you always are a little leery of from a fantasy perspective, uh, but he has 202 targets over the last two seasons. And so I think, you know, as such, I ranked him as a top 30 PPR option in the preseason before I even knew he would miss any time. So I think the opportunities are there. One warning sign is to the fact that like the, the Ron Rivera, Scott Turner staff was in Carolina before Joe Brady got there for Samuel's last year. And even though Samuel had a similar number of targets in 2019 and 2020, he was a lot better with Brady as his, as his OC than he was with Scott Turner. And Derek, I, like, I don't know, this is getting like really heavy into the weeds, but like, is there anything that was different about how the Panthers were using Samuel last year? And can Washington kind of steal that and maybe get more out of Samuel than they were able to get in their first run with the player? I would probably say the biggest difference was just like Teddy was a guy who was very willing to just throw a lot of the shorter stuff. And I think Samuel's really good if you can run a lot of those shorter routes with him and just get the ball in his hand. And I think Bridgewater, especially last year, um, was a guy who was very willing to just take those yardage. Um, the, the small problem is like these Washington quarterbacks, like I, I don't remember who <laughs> we were talking about beforehand. Maybe it was McKissick. Um, but they're not as willing to do that. I think they're a little bit more willing to push the ball down the field. And like I said, Samuel can do that, but he's not going to do it in the sense of like, um, you know, running a seam route and he's getting contested over the middle by a safety or whatever. He's more of a guy who I think you want getting as deep as possible. He's not going to get those, you know, 16 to 20 yard deep targets or whatever. He's going to get the 35 yard deep targets. So I think it's yeah. just a matter of, of expectation and what you're, you're trying to get out of him. Yeah, we were talking about Alex Smith, and is it too late to bring him out of right. retirement? That 30% <laughs> running back target rate, <laughs> that could look really good with Samuel like running around in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are things to be scared of, sure. But like, I, I do think you need to, to pay attention in fantasy because Washington, I mean, they've been giving Deami Brown and Adam Humphreys 60% of offensive snaps each week. And I do think Brown can be a very effective long-term player, but he's a later round rookie this mm-hmm. year. I just don't think he's ready to contribute in that way. So I think Samuel just has such an enticing role with this team that this could really work out for you in fantasy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Samuel, basically, you can slot him in and he can basically eat up what Brown is doing and what McKissick is doing pretty much at the same time. Yeah. Um, I'll get back to Matt Noskow's question about Marlon Mack, but uh, let's move to Marcus Calloway is our next player to discuss. Uh, There hasn't been a ton from a production standpoint. He did score a touchdown on in week three on Sunday, but uh, he has just 11 targets on the season, so it, it hasn't really led to what you expected after the third preseason game that won Jameis that job. So I'm recommending him as a modest 1% fab bid, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what we're seeing from a talent perspective, Derek, because in my mind, so much of Callaway's lack of numbers so far have been about the weirdness of the Saints game scripts, where Jameis Winston has only thrown 63 passes so far this season. That's 12 fewer than Joe Burrow, the next lowest among the three-game starting quarterbacks. There are already 17 quarterbacks who've thrown 100 passes. Like the Saints have been a crazy low volume offense, especially passing offense. And I'm not as sure that's going to continue the way that we've seen so far. So, like, is now a good time to preemptively pick up Callaway? Yeah, I think you make a good point there. And like the game scripts have really been probably the biggest issue here. I mean, I think week one, that game got out, the Packers game out, got out to like a, what, 17 to zero start or whatever. And it's like, well, then you just don't need to really throw the ball. And you especially don't need to really throw the ball downfield, which is, I think is where Callaway wins the most or where he can have the most value. Um, and then this past week, you played a Patriots offense who is not going to pressure you into forcing like a shootout. So I think the Saints felt very comfortable kind of just playing it a little bit slower um, and that sort of thing. So I think to your point, 
when the game scripts are maybe forced to open up more consistently, Callaway is probably their best option down the field right now. And mm-hmm. I think he can get a little bit more production than he's shown to this point. Um, he's probably never going to be <laughs> whatever he was in week three of preseason <laughs> where he looked like a God. I yeah. don't think he's ever going to be that, but I think he does fill a role for the Saints offense right now. And to your point, when games are a little bit um, not decided as early, I think it's, it's going to be good for him. So it, again, if you shift from the, the raw totals to percentages, it looks a lot better. 17.7% target share is 53rd among wide receivers. Again, not necessarily something that you're jumping at it from a fab perspective, but you know, with a chance to maybe score a good number of touchdowns too, that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm locking on to here. And Derek, let me ask you a little trivia question. There were four Saints wide receivers that played 25% or more of offensive snaps on Sunday. Uh, can you name the other three besides Callaway? Uh, is <laughs> Deontay is, Harris? Did, he's did one. He he's one. Thirty-one percent. Okay. That's good. The other two were actually even harder. Um. Oh, I know who one of them is, and I, it's, it's off the tip of my tongue, and it's really going to irritate me because I know Mina <laughs> Kimes was saying the same thing, where she was like, "They should have cut this guy." And then oh, let me I, give I let know. me give you a hint. Mean. One of them is is perhaps a lacrosse enthusiast. Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan, 26% of offensive snaps. Oh, uh, Jesus. The other guy is former and once again, Saints legend, Kenny Stills. Uh, they signed him, I think, off the street last week, and he played 47% of snaps. That was the second highest among their wide receivers. Like, I know that we, <laughs> I know we, may, get, we may get Traquan Smith back this week. He was one of those early season IR guys. We're going to get Michael Thomas back eventually, probably in the second half of the season, but – until we're there, I mean, Callaway is going to be the guy here. And I know that hasn't yeah. led to much fantasy production so far, but I think it's worth a gamble if you have the type of bench space to hold him. That, that's kind of my main point there. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got a couple more guys to hit on before we wrap this thing up. Next up, tight end Evan Ingram. I'm recommending as a 1% fab bid. I was digging into this for the article, but did you know that the New York Giants fans booed Ingram all game? So the guy had his best year, I would say, last year. Played I all mean. 16 games for the first time. <laughs> Uh, had only dropped one – no, he had only fumbled one ball in his career entering this season, but comes back after missing the first two weeks with a calf injury, fumbles his second catch, and then is getting booed constantly on the field. To me, that's really funny. But, like, I don't know what you make of that. Like, do you think that Ingram has any fantasy value? Or are you in the New York the, the New York media space here? I mean, I think his value is just strictly for filling in for injuries. I, I don't think it's because he's very good anymore. I don't think it's like he, he just has, I think his floor is so hard to gauge. And like you mentioned, he has a lot of draws. He's going to, he's fumbled the ball just now. Like after he came back, like it just feels like his time there has maybe <laughs> like, there's something just funky about him being there now that I just don't really trust. So I think his value is only as far as the other injuries are there. And I think if some of the other guys are going to be back pretty soon, it's just not even worth entertaining. So we don't really know right now. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton both suffered hamstring injuries last week. And if they end up missing time, then, I mean, that's going to kind of force the ball, I feel like. to, to right. Who else are they going to throw to? Kadarius Tony? Definitely not. And right. I've said before, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so going like, to be Kadarius Tony. Joe Judge is like, yeah, we may put Tony in the slot instead of Sterling Shepard. Like, throw up that meme from the video game where the guy's hitting the doubt buttons. Because, like, that, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I am on that. Uh, but I think a lot of people may be surprised to learn that, that Ingram finished fourth among tight ends with 109 targets last season. And, again, he did play all 16 games, and that probably says a lot about that. But, like, 
you know, is he going to have a top 10 volume at the position going forward? I don't know. Maybe he will. Like to me, this isn't a player that you ignore in fantasy, even if you don't necessarily want to start him this week. Uh, to me, there's just, there's too much potential volume to just leave him on the wire. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think even last year, a lot of his volume was just a matter of circumstance too, but I think to both of our points, that's kind of why you're picking up now. It's kind of just a matter of circumstance. Uh, Joey sucks says his floor is the basement and useful Baker says, and it is a dirt floor too, but as a, sure as, a, is. <laughs> as, a, as a North Carolina alum, let me also mention that maybe the ceiling's the roof. I don't know. Like, I don't know what that means. So it's very possible. Um, one more player that we should discuss before we hit on Matt Naskow's question, Derek, but Rashad Bateman, uh, wide receiver for the Ravens is a rookie was a late first round pick, a player that we discussed in the preseason is thinking that he might have a much brighter NFL future than he showed in college and an offense that didn't really highlight his skill set. Um, but he opened the year, unfortunately, on injured reserve, but is eligible to return as soon as this week. And Ravens head coach John Harbaugh told reporters that that was possible, which makes me think that if it's not week four, it may be week five. So I'm getting a little bit excited about Bateman. I'm not sure if he's going to be a fantasy asset this season, but Lamar Jackson has really improved his targeting of wide receivers this year, going from a 42.8% target share for wide receivers last year that was dead last among quarterbacks to 55.4% so far this year, which is middle of the pack. I don't know if that's game script. I don't know if Lamar is evolving, but I'd love to get your thoughts on Bateman and just his potential fantasy value in an offense that you wouldn't necessarily think would be good for, for wide receivers. I actually am probably more excited about him than a couple of the other receivers we've had okay, on here, especially great. like Curtis Samuel in particular, because I think these are similar situations where their guys coming off of injury. Um, it might take them a couple of weeks to, to really get into the offense. Um, it's more of like a long-term play kind of, but I think Bateman, like to your point one, Lamar Jackson, I think is throwing to his um, receivers a little bit more right now, which I think to me is less like Lamar Jackson has really stepped up his game or whatever. I think it's just a matter of the personnel that they have. I mean, I think getting Sammy Watkins in there, even though he's not been fantastic, I think he's been a lot more solid than a lot of the other guys that they had last year. Um, And I think Jackson is probably desperately looking for another receiver who is not Marquise Brown. Not that Marquise (laughs) Brown is terrible and he clearly has value, but he has got to stop dropping passes. And I think with Bateman, that's not going to be as much of an issue. Um, So I think with, I think Lamar does want to throw to his receivers more. Just like I said, I think to this point in his career, they haven't really had the guys. And I think Bateman is probably the most talented guy they've ever had, or at least the most complete that they've ever had. And like I said, maybe it takes a couple of weeks for this to really get into high gear, but I think he just brings so much to the table that they don't have right now that it's, I would, I, I like the gamble on him. Well, I mean, what I was going to say, and this is maybe my amateur eye that you can, you can confirm or deny, but it seems like Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins are both like more similar types of field stretching receivers where they're great to have to fill a role on an offense, but both of them are a little miscast as a number one wide receiver on a team. Right. So like I would see with Bateman, maybe running a more full route tree where one that in a PPR format in particular, where you may see a higher volume, even if you're not getting the same explosive plays down the field that you were with Brown. So to me, that's intriguing, right? Absolutely. And like, I think Sammy Watkins can do a little bit more of like the, the underneath stuff over the middle of the field, but he's not, like your true X where you just line them up and and you think he can run a deep comeback or he can run a curl route or he can run a slant route and win it every time. Whereas Bateman, if you trust him to go win on -on one-on-one, he probably can. He's a really good athlete. And I think he's a better route runner Mm -hmm. than his college offense really let him show kind of like you mentioned when we, when we first brought him in. So like I said, I think he just brings something to the table that this Ravens offense really doesn't have right now. Okay. 
Well, we have one more question to hit on um, from Matt Noskow. Any recommendations on Marlon Mack? He says, given the trade rumors, is he worth an ad this week and what teams will likely be in the mix to trade for him? Honestly, I hadn't seen this news. Like, Derek, is this total news to you as well? I also had not seen this. Um, I also really wouldn't be that excited about it unless he lands in a particularly great spot for him. I think he would need an offense that um, is going to be very willing to bet on him um, producing explosive gains because I think he's just not a guy who brings you a very high floor as a runner. I think that's why they tried to move away from him and brought in a guy who's the literal opposite in Jonathan Taylor, who is uh, <laughs> really good at doing a lot of the consistent stuff well. So um, I think depending on where he ends up, it's maybe interesting, but I think trying to get out ahead of it is not something I'm particularly interested in, though. I think that's fair. And I would also kind of take this from the Colts angle that I don't really think he's made much of a difference from like taking away from Jonathan Taylor, for instance, or like impacting Naeem Hines. Like to me, I think the Colts did him a solid in giving him a $2 million contract because like he was supposed to have a bigger role for the team before he blew out his knee. And it was just like really unfortunate timing given his free agent status and he had never made any money or whatever. So I honestly feel like the Colts were just kind of doing him a solid there. Um, but to me, like, I don't know if he's ever going to get that kind of opportunity again. And I don't think his being absent from the Colts is going to move the needle for either of the guys ahead of him. I don't know if you feel any differently, Derek. No, I think that's a good point too. I think with him out of the picture, it doesn't really change how I feel about the other two guys. I think the change in volume is probably not there at all or just not significant. So, yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's going to wrap up this Tuesday episode of the football outsiders fantasy show. Everybody good luck with their waiver ads. Uh, Derek, tremendous to have you again, as always. What do you have going on this week, uh, both at Football Outsiders and everywhere else you have your, your content? Um, Football Outsiders this week. I'll have the film, room, the film room on Thursday, but I have not decided what I want to write on yet. Hopefully mm-hmm. I figured that out today. Um, watch a little bit more film and, and do that stuff. So, um, And then I've got some uh, betting pieces over at Odds Checker. I'll have a props piece for the Thursday night game. Um, which is nice. Um, talked about some of, some of the players on here, which is a nice little preview for that. Um, and then we're going to start getting grades in for um, the Bleacher Report um, NFL draft stuff that we're doing. So I think we have, um, I think within the next month or so, we might have some actual content that we can put out and, and give to you guys. So yeah, everybody check it all out. Derek does great work. Derek, if you need some ideas, I think the people have been clamoring for more Panthers content. So that's always a good thing. <laughs> are you the people? Are, are you the one? <laughs> <laughs> we, the, we, the people type of situation, quite, quite possibly. I, I have no further comments on the matter. Uh, but again, everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you've been following along on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders, thanks. Thanks for the chat questions. Everybody remember you can jump in and do that as well, but you can also catch us uh, after the fact on YouTube and on the the football outsiders podcast network swing back tomorrow to hear uh, Mike Tanier and Aaron shots. I think they may have rivers McCown on tomorrow, but they always have great guests, other football outsiders, writers, and otherwise. And then I'll be back this Friday to preview the, the games from a fantasy perspective. So I look forward to catching you guys. Then everybody have a great week. 